Welcome to Mapping the Green Transition, the podcast that dives deep into sustainable ideas, behavior, and technology. I'm Drew Schoenfeld. Today we're speaking with Stuart Valentine. Stuart is a board member of the Sustainable Living Coalition in Fairfield, Iowa, And he's also the founder of Centered Wealth, which provides financial planning and investment management services to socially responsible and impact investors. Stewart's comments today reflect his own opinions and do not constitute investment advice. Today, Stewart and I will be discussing a dual currency model that rewards local volunteering by issuing a secondary form of money, which can be redeemed for goods and services within a community. All right. So, Stuart, how are you doing today? Yeah, very good. I'm interested in uh, exploring the brave new world of community currencies. Great. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, well, we just did a little bit of looking into this and Joel Hodroff's work uh, for the most recent Mapping the Green Transition article in the Iowa Source. And I guess today we can kind of just talk about the methodology behind it, what makes it so unique, how it works. Um, I guess yeah. What what is the the benefit of this kind of system? Yeah, let's uh, well let's let's go up to the thirty thousand foot level first and ask the question why? Uh, why would we be interested in figuring out how to design and implement a uh, a community currency that would operate alongside the U.S. dollar? And the answer is that the U.S. dollar does a lot of things really really well. It facilitates international trade. You can pay taxes with it. Uh, everybody trusts it. Uh, it's universal and everywhere. But the U.S. dollar also has some deficiencies in that it expressly rewards financial returns on investment, which is all, that's totally fine. Uh, There are opportunities, though, to step back and design a community currency that would incentivize and enhance other qualities of life in the community. And as you mentioned, Joel Hodroff is one of the pioneers in the development of what he has called a dual currency. This is a currency that's not intended to replace the dollar. It's simply intended to supplement the dollar in local economies to enhance the quality of life. Well, I, I want to actually stay on that point for a real quick second mm-hmm. because you mentioned that the dollar has some unintended consequences or is inefficient or insufficient in some ways. Mm-hmm. And so could you talk a bit about why that is and, and maybe how the dollar only deals with scarcity? Yeah, I, I think um, currency is a function of our belief system. It's a function of our culture. and you might even say it's a it's a outpicturing of the paradigm we hold. So the dollar as we know it, the most recent design innovation to the dollar was the Federal Reserve Act in 1914 that expressly um, rooted the Federal Reserve Bank as the lender of last resort for the United States. Mm-hmm. And the model uh, for the system of money and credit that the Fed is charged to uh, provide to the U.S. economy is a debt-based growth model that builds off of compound interest. Now, compound interest, Einstein famously said at one point, he said, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world Mm. because there's nothing so amazing as a Y equals X squared chart. Uh, And time is your friend when you're the lender of money uh, at compound interest. And what you could think of is, is the, the design element of the system of money and credit we currently operate within as fundamentally extractive because you and I have access to credit. We can borrow money to buy cars, to buy houses, mm-hmm. uh, you know, credit card bills, etc. These are all forms of debt where we pay interest on that debt. And ultimately, that interest is extractive. It pulls 
uh, little by little wealth from a community and aggregates it up through the banking system to the very top. So the old adage that says, you know, the rich get richer, one of the mechanisms by which the rich get richer is compound interest. Mm -hmm. But for the average person on the street who's trying to strive to, say, a, a middle-class lifestyle, mm -hmm. one of the paths to get there, of course, is to borrow money to buy your house, borrow money to um, uh, buy your car, borrow money for day-to-day -day bills with credit cards, etc. So it seems like what you're kind of saying is that scarcity is kind of manufactured in our very economy by the way it's just set up. They, uh, yeah, I would use the term by design mm -hmm. because uh, the Federal Reserve issues new currency into the banking system at interest. Well, that money flows down to Main Street America at interest, higher interest rate. And so what you have is you have the initial principal, but there's never quite enough money to repay the principal and interest. Mm -hmm. So there, it is by design a system of scarcity. It fuels the mythology of a dog-eat-dog -dog competitive world because mm -hmm. somebody's going to lose in this game of musical chairs. Uh, and by the way, it's, it, it's not all bad. I just think we can improve upon the design framework by adding a dual currency system in parallel with the, the dollar standard. And this dual currency rewards and enhances economic activities in other ways. In, right. it, it incentivizes other types of economic activity. So I, I guess transitioning now from the dollar to a dual currency, uh, well, the dollar sort of emerged from this idea of scarcity and debt and lending cycles. And now we're at a time where there's so much surplus around us in like excess food, excess uh, like clothes that go unsold, things that go to waste. Yeah. And so many people out there that still need those things. So how does dual currency then fit into the picture and help redistribute those resources or take us out of that scarcity world? Yeah, it, mm -hmm. the again, stepping back about looking at uh, how we design for abundance versus how we design for scarcity, right? Mm -hmm. So we designing for abundance says, what is our uh, virtually unlimited resource? And the, the best answer I could say is human creativity, mm -hmm. human innovation, um, uh, the, the, the drive for people to actually, I, I have a fundamental belief system, which others who are listening could challenge this, but I fundamentally think humans uh, do uh, desire to give. Uh, this whole notion of philanthropy, the love of humanity, mm -hmm. is a powerful force that I think is encoded in our DNA. Humans are very good at doing cooperation and society. And in fact, I recommend listeners go and, and Google the Darwin Project, uh, which uh, reinterprets uh, and, and retells the story of Darwin's evolution, theory of evolution, mm -hmm. uh, because we're, we've missed a lot in the standard understanding of how humans what are how humans work together and our capacities uh, for empathy and cooperation. Mm -hmm. So the concept of a dual currency is to say, let's capture uh, the essential goodness of humanity and let's look for a way to uh, monetize that so that individuals who are already giving to their, their communities end up receiving credits that can then be used or spent in parallel with their US dollars into the local economy effectively increasing the money supply. Mm -hmm. So these credits, these merits, uh, end up being uh, a form of currency based on one, the, the model of the dual currency system that Joel Hodroff uh, pioneered was to say, look, like you said, Drew, 
we have surplus theater seats, we have surplus clothing, we have surplus um, capacity at the rec center, uh, we have any number of businesses, uh, say extra seats uh, between 4 and 6 p.m. at the restaurant or any number of businesses have surplus capacity that they could be offering to consumers with some sort of incentive. Mm -hmm. to, it, it might be a lower profit margin sale, but it overall is uh, adding to their net income. So the idea here is that, well, how can we match up the surplus with individuals in the community who are already giving to their community through volunteerism or individuals in the community who are underemployed or unemployed, who would then have a framework, a system to plug into volunteer activities on throughout the community on well, Main Street. Well, let's go into that system then because, um, so how do you make this dual currency? How do people earn this? And then we can go and look at it from the different levels of... Sure. Yeah. So the model is pretty simple. Uh, mm -hmm. Most communities, many communities, mm -hmm. have already a volunteer center or some kind of formal structure where volunteers can plug into activities in their community. So first step is to formalize a system whereby individuals can see what the community volunteer acti activities are, whether it's the church needing uh, landscaping services, whether it's the city needing uh, help to clean out um, you know, the streets, the alleyways after winter, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, the, the local school that needs some tutoring help uh, for special ed or otherwise, any number of community volunteer activities and I think I've heard you refer to them as community enhancing activities as yes, well. Yes, that's right. You're giving to the community. Maybe you're providing uh, services to the assisted living facility, things mm -hmm. that will effectively enhance the quality of life uh, mm -hmm. for the community. And it, it's made available through the community's organizations, such as the typically nonprofits, but not necessarily, whether it's the city or the county or the uh, assisted living facility, the schools, the churches. Uh, these are all entities that could post their volunteer needs or their job project needs on a centralized database that's mm -hmm. visible to the whole community and managed through the, the community volunteer center. Mm -hmm. So then if I find myself uh, with um, extra time on my hands and I want to go look for a volunteer project in the community, I would uh, tap into this database, I would select a, a project, I would show up uh, at, say, if it's the church that needed uh, some landscaping services, uh, do the work, uh, the church project manager would verify my work, and the credit would come through the volunteer center onto, uh, again, an app that would credit my account. Now, we, the community would have to determine what is the value of an hour of volunteer work. Mm -hmm let's just say we set it at the minimum wage, just hypothetically, 15 bucks an hour. So now I have a credit worth $15 because I worked an hour uh, pruning roses at the, the church. Uh -huh. Well, uh, then the model uh, also engages and enrolls the business community. Uh, again, the, the coffee shop, the restaurant, uh, the theater, the rec center, uh, the community institutions that, and businesses that can then incentivize me through their offers to come in and say, say it's the coffee shop, which typically doesn't have a lot of business between say one, although the coffee shop these days is always full, but let's just say it, it's kind of slow between one and, and five o'clock. Yeah. Uh, they say, well, if you come in at one, between one and five o'clock, uh, you know, and you buy uh, a coffee, you will get uh, um, a free coffee and a meal or something, mm -hmm. some incentive mm -hmm. that makes it still a profitable transaction for the coffee shop, mm -hmm. but it's not 
a, a transaction that probably would have happened unless I had the incentive. Right. Um, or a good example, which would be far more valuable uh, to me as, as the volunteer, uh, I, let's say the community theater says, which you know, has a 500-seat theater, typically there's you know, a couple hundred seats empty for a given program or 100 seats empty. They say, if you buy one full-price ticket, we'll give you one for free. Mm-hmm. Well, if that full-price ticket is you know, 40 bucks, uh, and two of us go to the theater using my merit, we now uh, have paid 20 bucks each for that. And I think the theater example is a really good one because it basically represents a way of sort of what's called dynamically priced. Um, and that's dynamic kind of, pricing. Yeah, dynamic pricing. That's and, right. And so you could, you could imagine a situation where a movie theater owner would have seats empty, and, but maybe they have regular patrons or something like that. Yeah. And so those regular patrons feel perfectly comfortable paying the regular price of a ticket uh, without merits or anything like that. But the theater could imagine that there's many people out there who would see movies if the price was lower. So the question then becomes, uh, for the best profit and the most capacity used in the theater, how can I keep charging my regular patrons the same price while selectively lowering the price for people who can't afford it to encourage them to come in? Yeah. And, uh, and community currency, from my understanding, is kind of a way of doing that because it, it kind of selects for people who might have lower income. or Although not necessarily. Not necessarily. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, there's but, plenty of wealthy people that do yeah. very active volunteerism in their communities. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Um, but it incentivizes people who would not otherwise see the movie to come in because the ticket's cheaper. And it's taking advantage of different, uh, different levels of demand at different prices, in a way. Yeah. So you're taking advantage of all of the different... Um, kind of uh, demographics or... Uh, yeah, you're, opening, yeah. you're giving yeah. a, a greater access to a broader spectrum of community members to participate in the arts uh, and culture or even going to a restaurant, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it, it effectively does this by harnessing uh, the spirit of volunteerism, mm-hmm. which in turn definitely enhances the quality of life. I mean, yeah. it, you know, for the city, for example, if, if they had an ongoing... Uh, say, you know, on the town square, the, 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 the flower beds, you know, instead of paying a city employee to go and weed that flower bed, the volunteer center directs volunteers, which then generate merits. Those merits, in turn, are spent uh, at the theater or the rec center or wherever it might be. Uh, and so you lower the city's expenses, you enhance the purchasing power of the community members, you improve the quality of life, and this is what, I, when I, I contemplate what what is the variables that go into enhancing our local economy or bringing more vitality to the economy? Mm-hmm. This is uh, the closest model I've seen that uh, allows us to go in parallel with the dollar. Because as I stated, there's many things the dollar does really well. I'm not saying we want to get rid of the dollar, uh, but it, the dollar on its own does not, it turns everything into a financial return on investment. And when that happens, certain things just don't ha- don't get done yeah. uh, because they are not quote profitable, but they're still yeah. desirable yeah. Uh, for the quality of life in the community. Well, we've talked about then the individual and how they benefit by kind of stretching each dollar with each purchase, or as you said, expanding their purchasing power, which is basically yeah. what that means. And then the businesses we've talked about can uh, dynamically price and bring in new audiences of people who would otherwise not buy their products and uh, still make a profit. Um, but when we look at this from a community standpoint, what are some of the benefits uh, to making a more resilient community there? Good. Yeah, uh, it's really good. Uh, we hadn't talked about this, but uh-huh. it's, what is the foundation of a resilient community? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would put forward that one of the 
most important foundations for resiliency is a quality of community coherence and co cohesion and cooperation. Mm -hmm. A community that works together can get through tight squeezes better than a fractured community that is, say, you know, warring against each other. And the, the community currency model invites people to go from passive consumers to active citizens mm -hmm. and get rewarded for it. It incentivizes yeah. us to go out and, you know, be involved yeah. because there's, there is a payoff there, right? Totally. Yeah. Uh, and businesses, you know, get uh, enrolled in it because I might not make my full profit margin by selling a theater seat and giving one for, for free. But guess what? I wasn't going to sell that second seat anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I, I now have more participants uh, in the, the arts. People get enrolled in our operation. More enthusiasm is built. And so, you know, this is the art of growing culture. Uh, and it's a way to facilitate that. So mm -hmm. from my perspective, you know, I've examined a lot of different uh, alternative currencies. Um, that would try to compete with the dollar, for example, or replace the dollar. Uh, in my view, the dual currency model takes, takes you know, the best of what the dollar can do in terms of international trade and um, you know, financial transactions for taxes, etc., while growing a new currency that goes in parallel to it and serves to enhance our uh, sense of place. You might think of yeah. this as a strategy for placemaking, yeah, yeah. as it's called, right? Yeah, and placemaking is uh, basically the practice of making your community more people-friendly in a way, right? People-friendly, yeah. but it also could, this, uh, we have an example here in Fairfield where through um, a, a project uh, that uh, was, you know, engineered under this idea, we ended up planting a community orchard. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that orchard takes a lot of maintenance, right? Mm -hmm. But now we could have a mechanism to incentivize uh, somebody to spend a Saturday afternoon in the spring and spend four hours pruning those trees and then have four merits, uh, which would be the equivalent of $60, to now spend throughout the community of, of participating members. And the, mm -hmm. the other thing about the dual currency is that there's no rule here requiring that you go volunteer. Yep. There's no rule that says businesses have to get into the game mm -hmm. and provide promotions or incentives, uh, it's all voluntary, you know, so, mm -hmm. but I maintain that, you know, as the ball, kind of like a snowball, as yeah. this thing starts growing and people start feeling the benefits of it, you want to get into the game because frankly, it's a better party. Uh, it's, yeah. it's more fun to have more people to play with, so to speak. Yeah. So uh, that makes a lot of sense, what you were saying in terms of connecting the community and giving people meaningful work. I was wondering though, how does this help a community become more economically self-sufficient and resilient? And, and how does that relate to even like the country? How does this make for a more resilient country having these kind of uh, systems? Yeah, okay, uh, that's a good question. I, I, my sense is, is that uh, the way it does this is that it enrolls uh, members of the community, the citizens of the community, into uh, a system that inspires a, an experience of and a responsibility towards shared ownership. It's like we become, we go from being a passive consumer using a, in a financial model that is effectively extractive, uh, built on a kind of a perception of scarcity, like I have to get mine and get out kind of attitude, to one that really by design brings people back into the game of building a local economy, what is often referred to as placemaking. So building a sense of shared ownership uh, and responsibility towards your community I think is the essence of resilience for human society. You know, when all of us take, um, feel accountable for the well-being of our 
you know, the physical in infrastructure of our city, the well-being of the citizens, the health of our air and water, um, you know, that builds a culture of uh, resiliency um, because we're there for each other more. The, the idea that, um, you know, you, you're here just to get rich quick uh, and get out to your gated community and um, not really participate is unfortunately one of the features of our existing economic model. And those who win in that game end up, you know, often they, they play a very important philanthropic role. So I'm not going to just be too generalized about this, but it isolates people. People end up being um, sort of more in it for themselves. Mm -hmm. And there is this fine balance between my good and the good of others. Uh, but I think by introducing a community, a dual currency like this, that invites people, especially those who aren't quite in the game yet, right? Underemployed or unemployed, or those who simply don't have an outlet for the philanthropy they want to give through volunteerism. So by creating an easy, accessible channel to uh, come into the volunteer uh, community and have that rewarded with a currency that is uh, accepted at area businesses and for services, etc., um, you end up truly building community wealth that is truly local and owned, generated, and cared for by the citizens themselves. Well, I think that's a really big point there, especially about keeping the wealth local, because uh, like say there's a, a crash or a financial crisis akin to 2008 or something like that. In 2008, we still had people who wanted to work and we still had infrastructure and we still yeah. had tools and everything. So it was mainly a failing of our financial system. And I feel like if we had a community currency in that time, there would still be a sort of higher baseline employment in all the different communities in the country uh, that would still keep people going and less reliant on the Federal Reserve for their like sovereignty. Well, I think you actually highlight it's um, related, but it's sort of a separate point, but it's very connected to this. What the existing uh, financial model does, you know, this idea of a central bank that is responsible to manage the money and credit of a nation, uh, through a debt-based growth model based on compound interest, is it ends up uh, turning everything into a financial commodity, mm -hmm. right? Everything becomes, quote, financialized. And all of that ultimately has interest built into it. And so the money tends to, from the bottom of the societal pyramid, flow back up to the top. And, you know, right now, for example, you know, there is literally trillions and trillions of dollars in the financialization bucket, making money on money that has no connection to the needs of Main Street America or Main Street world for that matter. And yet for those who are in the money game, this is generating a lot of cash, but it isn't necessarily nourishing the roots of our society or the environmental health and wellness of our planet because mm -hmm. it's all based on extraction, right? So you extract uh, raw materials and natural resources, you extract the benefits of labor, you turn it into cash, then cash starts making money on cash. Mm. And because the rules of the game are, you only use that cash where it can be maximally producing a financial return. If regenerating soil is not as profitable as uh, investing in derivatives and leveraged options or other financial vehicles, then you're, gonna, you're not going to invest in regenerating soil because it doesn't make as much money, right? Mm -hmm. So what we have to do in terms of the evolution of the monetary system is we have to, one, we have to hold companies, including banks, uh, responsible and accountable for the extraction that produces cash. Mm -hmm. If you started accounting for that, 
there'd be much less incentive to rush off in the money-making, money-on-money game, mm-hmm. because the costs of doing that would go up. And it would then, uh, therefore, give more incentive to go back and invest in what I would call real wealth mm-hmm. of a nation, which is its, uh, the creative, uh, creativity of its people and the health of its environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so money, again, I want to reiterate, not, money is not all bad by any means. It's a great uh, social innovation. Yeah. And it's just, to me, it's just like, well, we simply have not... Um, delivered an adequate accounting system to give you and I an adequate price signal about the true cost of what it is to say burn a gallon of gas yeah. or the true cost of um, to society of building in say a credit card system that charges you know when, at, the, at the top rate you're paying 20% interest talk about creating economic wage slaves Mm-hmm. in service of the financialization of everything model, right? So, <laughs> so it sounds like what you're saying is that um, community currency mitigates this effect that our, our current system has that has been making our communities less resilient, has been making us less connected, has been destroying our environment, and community currency comes in and realigns the incentive more towards conservation? Uh, and, and social uh, well-being. Mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. it actually nourishes the, the arts, uh, culture because it brings people together in community to um, think through and intentionally enhance their communities. Mm-hmm. And, and so you could imagine a lively volunteer center like this brainstorming with the members of the community saying, well, uh, what if we um, rebuilt that uh, historic uh, building? And what if we used our volunteer channel of retired electricians and carpenters and uh, underemployed people, craftspeople who could come in and rebuild that historical building. And now it becomes our community's pride. It builds community um, uh, ownership. It's our sense like, look what we've accomplished, yeah. you know? And um, that I think is what is missing in the current economic, the design of the current economic model is that there, the, the incentive is to go out and get on the proverbial hamster wheel to go quote, make money and most of uh, business and society does that by first borrowing money to go make money. And the, you know, the experience that we see all around us is that people are too dang busy running on the hamster wheel to actually turn their attention back into their communities or even take care of their environment. Right. Uh, right. And in fact, taking care of the environment, if it's seen as an additional expense, is, is, is something a business person would say, I don't want to do that because then I'll make less money. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we have, again, I think you use the word mitigate because we do need money. We do need a system of banks, mm-hmm. in my estimation. We do need uh, um, a, 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 an entity like the Federal Reserve or some other, say, government-run private, uh, government-run system of money and credit. Because remember in the Constitution, uh, the money powers were expressly granted to the government for the people, by the people, of the people. And it wasn't, there was early days in this country, the, you know, Hamilton was a big advocate of central banking originally. And it wasn't until Andrew Jackson took back the money powers and he, he was elected on that basis and we had the money system back in the hands of the government, the treasury. And then after the banking panic of 1907, it, it, the Federal Reserve Act of 1914 came in. So we've had a couple of different chapters in American history about who actually gets to run this system of money and credit. Mm-hmm. Currently, we're with the Federal Reserve model, and within that, a hundred and some years into it, we can see some of the deficiencies, in my opinion, some of the deficiencies in the design framework of that. Without having to sort of tear it down, let's actually supplement it with a a well-conceived dual currency model like 
the hero reward program we were discussing or the dual currency model and, and run an experiment. I mean, imagine if this was operated for 10 years in a community with that kind of volunteer channel flowing into all manner of public works, services, arts, culture, uh, turning money back into the community, um, participating uh, merchants who are, are increasing their cash flows. I, I, I want to run the experiment because yeah. I think it actually would really demonstrate um, a better way, a more comprehensive way to do community. Yeah, and, and other people are sort of running this experiment right now. Like, uh, it's my understanding that the Ithaca Hour in Ithaca, New York, mm -hmm. was started in the early 90s, and it's basically exchanged millions of dollars worth of these, this dual currency, which, which is tied to the amount of, um, the amount of work or, or service you, you, like in time, that you provide to someone yeah. else. Uh, and millions of dollars in value of these have been exchanged already since yeah. then. Yeah. And we know from history, there's been times in history when there's been an utter breakdown, notably World War II, where uh, communities have been able to design some form of local script to be able to just keep going in life. You know, how does the baker, the candlestick maker, and the butcher all keep their business going when, you know, the Deutschmark, you know, gets inflated to infinity? Well, yeah. we come up with something else. Humans yeah. are incredibly adapted. We need a, we need a better tool. Money's just a tool and yeah. we need to... It is true. It's kind of like, yeah. uh, you, yeah. know, you know, the old adage, uh, give a kid a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. Well, give the world a US dollar based on compound interest and everything becomes a mission to make money on money. Yeah. And what unfortunately that results in, you know, the ever more aggressive extraction of valuable natural resources or degradation of fisheries or whatever it might be. And because fundamentally all this money initially comes from some form of extraction out of the natural uh, capital base uh, combined with human labor and into typically a product uh, uh, that is then sold. And again, if you're looking to maximize financial return, you want to sell that product and you want that product to become obsolete as fast as possible mm -hmm. so that that person buys another one from you. Yeah. And uh, if it costs money to say recycle that material, well, we're not for it because that will diminish my profit margin. And uh, you know, Wall Street won't like me as much if I have a lower profit margin. So, well, let's uh, let's get off that hamster wheel then. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, that hamster wheel. Well, thanks so much, Stuart. This yeah. has been a great conversation. Yeah, I think so. Let's give yeah. it a shot. All right. If you'd like to support this podcast and other sustainable initiatives in Southeast Iowa, you can send a donation to sustainablelivingcoalition.org. You can also stay tuned for more from Mapping the Green Transition. And be sure to check out our online article in the Iowa Source. Thank you for your support.